G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much. Now, if your mates miss the shows anytime, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. As you know, each week we have a new student come on board or a postdoc. And so today I'd like to introduce you to Kyle Vader, who is doing a PhD in Rehabilitation Science under the supervision of Dr. Jordan Miller. Welcome to Grad Chat, Kyle. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. I love it when they say that. (laughs) So I'm excited to be here. They may not be at the end, but at the beginning, they're very excited. (laughs) I'm optimistic. 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 Love that even better. So I've said before, rehabilitation science covers a lot of different areas, and sometimes people are not quite sure what that means. And so we have students from different backgrounds and things. Now I understand your background is in physiotherapy. That's correct. So what brought you from physiotherapy to this point in in your life? Mm -hmm. So that's a great question. I think really what it came from was I had more questions than answers when I was working clinically. (laughs) Lots of questions about what should I be doing? Why are we doing this? And I just had a lot of questions. And even if I would look up, you know, whether it was in journals or chatting with other experts, I felt like there was a lot I still didn't know. Right. And for me, even just based on my skills... I knew I was the type of person who likes asking questions. Uh, so why it seemed are we like, doing it this way? Why are we doing it? Because I think it's also important to get a sense of, you know, historically, healthcare professionals, we can do things. And mm-hmm. sometimes that just becomes the culture of what we do. Right. And particularly in the field of my research, which is chronic pain, we're learning a lot more about the science of pain. And as our foundational kind of knowledge changes, we then need to change our interventions accordingly. So I was really interested in, you know, how could I contribute to generating new knowledge? Right. So that's ultimately what led me to be here with uh, Dr. Miller. And it's been great so far. I really can't complain. Perfect. So, okay, so that's a good segue into your research topic, which is chronic pain management and primary health care. So what jumps out at me straight away is this word chronic pain. What is chronic pain? Because to me, it was, it's be reaching my threshold, my pain threshold, but mine could be higher or lower than somebody else's. So what, what determines what is chronic pain? Such a great question, and I'm glad you've asked it. A bit loaded, probably. It's a loaded question. I'll do my best to answer it here, but I think we can do it. Great. So really, first, before we talk about chronic pain, I think it's important to talk about what is pain. Okay, good point. And so the main kind of governing body that does a lot of advocacy around pain in the world is the International Association for the Study of Pain, or IASP, we sometimes call it. Right. And they define pain as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience. It's really the crux of the definition. So it's both. So it's unpleasant and it's a sensation, which is quite uncomfortable, but it also has an emotional component that's always tied to it. Right. So that's what we in the field kind of understand as pain. And when we talk about chronic pain, really all that means is you've had pain that has persisted or lasted for greater than three months in duration. Okay, right. So it's not the level of pain, it's the duration. Exactly. So duration, it's really about, you know, after that three month mark, because after three months, 
we're typically quite confident that pain is not necessarily a result of tissue injury okay because the tissues have healed to the best of their capability so then we're thinking okay what are the other mechanisms at play here that are having it such that someone continues to have pain persisting even right. though tissues should have healed to the best of their ability so the obvious one there that a lot of people find is back pain and back back pain having been through it can be really tiring on the body so it's this constant ache sometimes but it just keeps going and going and going so that's the kind of thing because a lot of people have back pain they put Mm -hmm. up with it for years exactly and you bring up a good point so back pain is actually one of if not the leading contributor to years live with disability worldwide is that right so there was a big study put out that looks at kind of disability associated with various chronic conditions and it was published in the lancet and low back pain was listed as the leading contributor to years Mm. live with disability so huge amounts of suffering for the people right. also um, implications to the healthcare system lots of healthcare usage and right. is that appropriate how can we best meet the needs but also people with back pain can have trouble staying at work so it has implications for productivity having an income and then the implications of it kind of echo outward it does i still remember sitting at my desk and suddenly jumping up <laughs> because i couldn't sit any longer mm-hmm. and it was everyone was going what what's going on colette i'm going don't worry It'll settle down any minute. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. yeah, not a good one. And that's the interesting thing I think about, you know, my work in pain is that when I speak with people and tell what I'm doing, almost everyone has a story because we've all had experienced pain in our lives. And the degree to which it potentially disables us can be quite variable. Mm -hmm. And that's also what I was really interested in and why chronic pain was because we can have people that could seemingly have very similar diagnosis. Right. But how that impacts their life can be incredibly different. So it just really fascinated me. It is fascinating because even I know people who end up then having sleep disorders because of that and they haven't really associated the two. I'm not sleeping or I'm getting irritable, but it's because of this constant ache or whatever it could be. Yeah. So it has these other effects, like you said, apart from all the economic effects and things. Well, we kind of talked about what got you interested in the field of study but let's, let's, so let's go into, you're, you're currently doing a paper, you've just written a paper. Yes, I have. And, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, we all like it when our students have written some papers, so well done on that. Thank you very much. So can you give me a bit of an overview of your paper? Because I know you started writing this before you actually started your PhD from what you've done in the clinical work already. So I guess what made you want to write this paper and, and what is it exactly about? Mm-hmm. You can give a bit of an overview on that. Yeah, definitely. Like, what's the purpose of the paper? Yep. So the purpose of this paper was really to sit down and speak with people. So it was a qualitative study. And I wanted to understand what are the strategies that they're currently using when living with chronic pain to engage in physical activity and exercise. Right. Also, what are their recommendations for healthcare providers about Which how we can important. best support them? Right. And really, this this research question came because I'm I still practice clinically in an interprofessional chronic pain clinic at one of the hospitals here in Kingston. Oh, okay. So I work alongside um, nurses, psychologists, occupational therapists, social workers, anesthesiologists. We have a big team. Right. And lots of people, we know physical activity is good, whether you have a chronic health condition like chronic pain or whether you're relatively healthy, we all know it's a good thing to do. Right. But just because we know it's a good thing to do doesn't always lead to engagement in a behavior such as physical activity. Yes. So 
you know, knowing that I was like, okay, what's, I have this question clinically, people are not engaging. So how could I best support them? I have ideas, right. but I want to hear it from the horse's mouth, you know, yeah. what do they want and what strategies are working? Yeah, because if they, if they aren't on board, it's not, it doesn't matter what you say, it's not going to work, is it? Exactly. And I think that's one thing that I've really learned about working in the context of chronic pain is it's really a collaborative process between someone. I almost sometimes think of myself as a coach and it's not about me delivering and giving them something that's going to be the magic answer, but it's really working together to figure out what could we do here that's going to allow you to still live a good quality of life despite the ups and downs of living with chronic pain. Right, right. It's interesting you say that. I mean, it is important. I mean, I'm, I'm a classic person I know what I should be doing. I'm just, I'm just really bad. You know, the willpower is just isn't there because I can always think of something else I could be doing. But the way that I do get things done, if someone is constantly keeping an eye on me, <laughs> so which is why I always like team sports because mm-hmm. I wasn't just letting me down, I'd be letting a team down. And so I think this collaboration between the clinician and the patient is really, really important to show that patient, look, I am here for you. We've got some ideas with your feedback. Let's work on it together. My only query about that, though, would be the time constraints and the economics of almost feeling like it's a one-on-one support system, which could be economically not realistic. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great question. And I think something that really came up in this work as well was the idea of group-based programming. What are different ways that people can be supported to engage in physical activity? Right. And again, thinking of, you know, when I talked about, I sometimes had questions of why are we doing this? And oftentimes when I went through my training, we learned a lot about one-to-one assessment and intervention. Right. But in the context of chronic pain, we know there can be lots of benefits for people who are maybe socially isolated, not getting out and seeing other people, but also just that shared lived experience of being around other people who have similar challenges and to realize they're not alone. So I think there are exciting opportunities of how can we best integrate group-based interventions for people living with pain. Um, But again, we need to test and figure out what works best, how much, how often, um, and what's the best best mode of doing that. So so the people you interviewed then, uh, I'm assuming it's from the practice here in Kingston, uh, which makes it very easy. Yes, so you. that was nice. So, yes, yeah, <laughs> so the good thing about Kingston. There's all sorts of participants. There available. are perks. There are perks. And also, yeah, so I, I specifically wanted to interview people who were coming to our tertiary care chronic pain clinic. Right. But I also wanted to get perspectives of people from primary care. So there was diversity in who I spoke with. So um, about half came from the chronic pain clinic, meaning that they had probably been receiving multiple types of services, um, specialized in chronic pain management, but also people from primary care that maybe had um, less experience with managing chronic pain and help from other professionals. So what do you mean by primary care? Just to clarify that for people Mm because there's the pain clinic and then there's the primary care what's the difference again really great question so when i think of primary care it's first contact care okay with the healthcare system traditionally when we think of primary care that could include your family doctor's office okay but there are also different opportunities um, surfacing in Ontario, like community health centers, family health teams that have multiple providers where it's all publicly funded care. So you could have access to a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, a social worker, a dietitian, right. in addition to traditional um, primary care or family physicians. Right. Okay. So that that's a good thing. 
And then with the group that you've interviewed, I mean, chronic pain isn't just low back pain. Did you take into consideration when you're interviewing the type of pain and from, from what it was, the differences? Did you take that into consideration? Because I would imagine if there's a lot of different ones, each one is unique. So how then do you come up with a solution that can be maximized, so to speak? Yep. And that's a really great question. It was something that we even toyed with when planning the researches. Do we want to speak with a specific population such as low back pain, people living with low back pain? Or do we want to speak with people with neck pain or pelvic pain? Because there can be nuances of that experience of living with a different pain condition. And then Mm -hmm. what does that mean when engaging in physical activity and exercise? So in this research, we decided to take a very broad approach to this just to see what's out there and our rationale for doing this was that in clinical practice you see a mixed bag of people coming in so we really wanted this to be clinically applicable understanding a limitation is that there could be nuances right in people living with low back pain or people living with neck pain that could be different however we wanted to kind of boil down what are the commonalities okay did you find commonalities to because if you're looking at the broad community, age differences, gender differences, I mean, because that will all, should all come into play, shouldn't it? Yep, certainly. We And because we did a qualitative study where I ended up speaking with 16 people, we did have some diversity among pain conditions, certainly. Right. Gender distribution, we did have more women than men that we spoke with, which is quite typical of the population living with chronic pain. We know that women are more likely to seek out health services, but also potentially to be living with pain conditions. Okay. So there are some sex and gender differences there. We didn't specifically dive into that in this paper. But it could be a follow-up one. But certainly in the future. Mm -hmm. And in our results, what we actually did is for each quotation that we included, we talked about what was their self-identified gender, age, and their self-reported chronic pain conditions to give a sense of, you know, this quote here under this theme or sub-theme, who was the person that, right. that gave this? Just to give it some context. Right. So there was two parts to your study, right? One was asking or exploring strategies used by people currently with um, living with chronic pain and then looking at what kind of recommendations they would like to give healthcare providers. And it's not what you think, it's what they think. Were they surprised that you were asking that? Or did you not actually say that's what it's for? They just wanted to know what would work for you? So we did talk about specifically, you know, what are your recommendations for healthcare providers? And in the preamble, when I was doing the interviews, I really talked about, you know, it's important for us to understand what you think would work best for you because Mm -hmm. you have the lived experience right i remember there was i saw this somewhere that it was a physician on twitter or something put something out saying you know my one lecture on chronic pain in my training does not mean i have more expertise than your 20 years of lived experience right right and so that kind of that that quote I saw has always stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in this research, it was really about, it was qualitative with people living with pain. We want to understand their narrative. What is their experience from your own context of living this day to day? What would you want from healthcare providers? Right, so That's right. what was really important. And I think people were excited to hear that. And I think it's also a growing trend. You know, if you look at through the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, the strategy for patient-oriented research, right, there's yes. really this idea of how can we get... F- you know, do research that's important 
to patients and people living with certain conditions. So I think qualitative research for this question was a really nice fit because it was really going, as I said, to the person who has the experience. Right. And so looking at that then, what did you find the main results? What were the main results that you want to be able to put forward? Yeah. Or have you, you have put forward in your paper. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so thanks. So really what we ended up talking about was what were the main strategies that people used, but also what were their recommendations for healthcare providers? Right. In terms of strategies people used, it was about finding the motivation. Yes. It was about setting up for success, leveraging social support, but also coming up with strategies to manage pain and discomfort during physical activity. Okay. And I think what really stood out to me from those was this idea of leveraging social support, yeah. as we talked about this group-based piece. Right. Because I think social support, um, as I said, it has different benefits. It can give an, a, a sense of a shared lived experience. Right. They get to see that they're not alone. Yeah. And there's, as you said, with participating in a group-based or team sport, you kind of have that accountability. You're you like, do. well, Steve knows I wasn't there last week. Like, yeah. I'm going to show gonna, up for what him. What am I going to say this time? <laughs> exactly. So that can be a good strategy for people. And I think it potentially offers exciting opportunities that can be, you know, financially, financially feasible in a healthcare service perspective. Right. having more than one person at Exactly. Time. Kind of like having a group, group medical visit. So I think that was... That stood out to me as a potential next step that I'm interested in. Right, right. And so it's it's interesting when you're sort of talking about some of the things. We're all very good at making excuses. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm there too. I probably know the, know the most. <laughs> and I do too, totally. And, you know, and yeah. I did kinesiology in that, so I should know better. But, yeah, we're all very good at making those excuses. But, yep. yes, the, the, the support side is very, very important. And we even say that in grad studies, right? You need, a you need to build a community within grad studies because we have to support each other. And yes, like with the chronic pain, we're all going through similar things, different levels, admittedly, but we're all going through similar things. So let's help each other get through that. Exactly. And that's huge. Yep. I think with the work that you're doing now too, the next part, which I think was important not just to find out what their recommendations were, but what happens now? Because, I mean, you're, you're virtually saying, I'm going to speak on behalf of the clinicians. Are the other clinicians behind you on this? And are they going to be open to listening to some of the recommendations that you mm -hmm. found from mm -hmm. this study? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, if we look at the specific recommendations that we found in this paper, um, it was nothing earth shattering new. Right. Meaning that it wasn't some fancy technique. It wasn't some, you know, we need to really figure out what works best, but it's things that we know are out there, but we need to remember that the foundations are really important. Right. Okay. So when people talked about their recommendations, it was the importance of listening. That's a good one. Providing tailored advice. So not yes. just giving a blanket, physical activity is good, Colette, see you in a bit. You know, that wasn't yeah. what people oh, wanted. Go. What am I going to do today? Shall I try swimming? Shall I try running? Yeah, sure. So people did want tailored advice mm. to them. They wanted support. And they also wanted to see how physical activity programming could be made more accessible. Okay. So it, you don't have to necessarily join the gym to be able to do physical activity. Exactly. It could be just going, getting a walking buddy or something like that. Totally. And I think even, you know, looking at the group that I spoke with, it was people who typically had some financial challenges okay. because of pain, were experiencing disability that meant they weren't able to work, which means that income right. can be certainly affected and significantly affected 
rejected. Mm -hmm. So I sometimes even think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, you know, food, water, shelter, we need those things. And sometimes health promoting behaviors, like engaging in exercise or physical activity, when you have a challenge like chronic pain, it can be not that priority. So how can we make things equitable and ensure that people have access to programming? So that's also kind of a next step of how can we make community um, physical activity and exercise programming more accessible for people. Do you think, I mean, because there's two parts to that. There's, I mean, you talked about the economics for the individual. There's then the economics for within the health system, which is another thing with all your um, various medical professionals. But then there's also potentially an ec- economic impact for the community that these people are in. So, for instance, Kingston may may or may not be a bit more affluent than the next city down the road, in which case they're able to provide more. And we're talking about equity and equitable um, management and, and opportunities. How are you going to make some of this that's each community, each town, each city can take on board? Mm-hmm to be able to reach to as many people as possible Mm because that's the thing. I mean, I'd love it, you know, Kingston, we're very lucky with all the green spaces and things. So there's a lot of things that Kingston itself, Kingston City can do to help without paying a lot of money in themselves because they've already got the land and without the consumer having to pay a lot to be on that land, so to speak. So how how are you going to make this broader enough so every little community can have this opportunity? Great question. Sorry about that. (laughs) Great question. (laughs) This is where my mind goes all over the place. (laughs) But I think, you know, really the purpose of doing this research is because I wanted it to be clinically useful. Right. So I think now this is one piece of helping to understand the current challenge of engaging in physical activity and exercise when people are living with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. So this is really about understanding that foundational knowledge of what recommendations, how do people want to be supported? Right. So I think that's a really good next step. And I think it's something that's really important as a clinician for even me personally is, you know, I've done this. How can I now translate that into practice? Into practice. And I think it's really, you know, it's even doing programs like this, like talking about it. Right. Seeing how we can create partnerships in the community. Um because again, I think it, we really need to create programming that's accessible, but also, um, you know, it's feasible and it, it's able to have longevity and not just be a pilot program that then drops off. Right. So even if we think of primary care, primary care traditionally has been viewed as going into clinic visits in a like a care location where you go in, you get the care, you leave, that's primary care. Right. But another way we can look at it is more of a community-based primary health care, where primary care doesn't always have to be with a health care provider, but it's anywhere you go that you get information or services to keep you well and living a life that gives you quality. Right. So I think seeing how we can partner with community-based organizations, whether it's, you know, even here in Kingston, we have Artillery Park, the YMCA. Clinically, we've made partnerships with them. Right. Um, But it's how to formalize the programs, how to scale it up and make sure that, as I said, it's feasible for the long go, because it has to be financially make sense for both parties. Correct. So figuring out what's, how do we balance that, but how do we ensure that it's geared toward people who are living with pain. So really, I think that's the next step from this. And I don't have the answers, but I... You don't? No. <laughs> I don't, but let's come back in 10 years. Okay. And then, <laughs> then we'll see where we're at. I love it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, too, I mean, 
all these people who are living with chronic pain, we, we want to give them the opportunity to potentially get back into the workforce and to live, as you said, productive, fun lives. Because ultimately, then that will reduce federally and provincially health bills and things like that. So it's in everyone's best interest that we do work together mm-hmm. to try and sort this out. Because a lot of the times there's very easy fixes, but we just don't see it. Yep. And I think you bring up a really good point. You know, I think the long-term impacts of this could be really significant. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so interesting as I learn more about, you know, the context and even federal funding and, you know, government and policy. And because that's that four-year cycle, sometimes a long-term impact isn't as, you know, sexy. Yeah, it's not. Because we don't immediately see the impact. But down the road, it could be really significant. Right. Which is always kind of the struggle with more preventative or rehabilitative type interventions because typically the impacts aren't seen immediately. Some can be, but we're thinking the long-term here. So I think that's the thing. How can we um, translate and share this knowledge that you know this can have benefits even if not immediate but down the road so do you think also down the road there may be when we talk about chronic pain there'll be different strategies for different levels of chronic pain or like you said lower back pain versus neck pain this is the you know we've found that this works for lower back pain but it's really not going to work for the neck pain so we Mm -hmm. need another little strategy there for that and so on yep exactly so there's actually some interesting work that happens out of the uk um with dr jonathan hill he's a physiotherapist um at Keele university and he does work and he calls it stratified care so looking at the nuances and trying to understand you know based on how someone presents, how can we tailor their care based on kind of stratifying what their needs might be? So I think that's an exciting piece that's going to be, in my opinion, could offer good reward moving forward. Now, you're only just at the beginning of your PhD, so you've got a bit of time to go. So you've got at least three long... Yep, three years. It's happening in four. It's happening in four. Okay, so you've got three years, and I guess you've got a lot of thoughts in your head right now of how to go. So are you going to build on from this one paper already? Um, You're going to expand it a bit bit, bit bigger, or what are you trying to do next with now that you've done this one paper? Mm -hmm. I think really the next step, as you said, is that knowledge translation piece. Okay. So seeing, and why I think academia is really cool is that you can do the research as someone who's teaching healthcare providers. I can now integrate that into my teaching. Right. So I think it's also, you know, how can I integrate this into my teaching here in the physical therapy program? Right. Um, But also, although I'm a physiotherapist, this work I think is applicable. It could be to a family doctor when you go in. So I think there's implications. So it's about getting the knowledge out there so that people have this on their radar. Right, right. And would you try in the time that you're here, even go that next step? I mean, you've got that knowledge mobilization within the teaching fraternity, but what about within the Kingston community? Mm -hmm. Would you consider talking to like health promotion in Kingston community about what else can we be doing to support this group Mm -hmm. as a collective? Totally. And let's use Kingston as an example of how if we collaborate, listen, all those sorts of things, we can make a a happier community. Totally. And really, that's the goal. You know, it's like, um, I always like to remind myself that when I'm kind of in the weeds of the work to be like, why am I doing this? Why are you doing it? It's important to ask why. Yes. Why? And you know, it's so that we can improve care for this group that I'm really passionate about working with. And I think you bring up really good points, because I think it would be doing a disservice to people's time that participated in 
in this research right. if I don't do my due diligence to get this mobilized. Right. I also recognize it's a challenge, but yep. I'm I'm up for the challenge. That's I think good. it's uh, we I got think, to. I think have researchers to. have to be up for the challenge. Otherwise, you'd be hitting your head and you're thinking, why did yeah. I go into that in the first place? But no, there's so much more that you can be you can be doing with it. Yep. So that's great. So Kyle, fascinating what you're trying to do. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with it all because it, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people in the community, not just in Kingston, across the board. And I hope with the the start of this paper, that's uh, going to go further for you, both hopefully provincially, nationally, that sort of thing. And uh, even with some that you were talking about, the collaboration with the professor at Keele University in the UK, I mean, that's an, an interesting thing, another side part as well, which I'm sure you're going to do very, very well with. So good luck with all of that. I think everyone out there will be listening and go, yep, I need that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And I mean, again, I think it's important, you know, as even as grad students that we have to get the knowledge out there. Maybe for our CV, we're used to thinking, hey, a publication, nice. Yes. Next, on to the next. But we know that just getting it in an academic journal doesn't lead to change. So we need to think of other innovative ways. So thanks for having me here to chat about it. Well, that was so easy. I love it. Thank you very, very much for coming on today. And like I said, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much much. So that's it everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by Queen's University's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.